0: In the early afternoon of March 12, 1959, the Swiss sculptor Jean Tangely might or might not have dropped about 150,000 leaflet prints of his artistic manifesto entitled Four Static over Dusseldorf. Here is what we know. Tangali had put in an official request for the drop, which was granted by the city on March 11. He then had himself photographed in a one propeller Cessna holding copies of his manifesto. Charles Wilp took this photograph. The man who became famous for making what can only be described as the most avant-garde soda commercial the world has ever seen for the German company Africola in 1968. If you do not know what I am talking about, go look for it on YouTube. You won't regret it. The problem with the photograph is that it's in black and white. As a result, the window behind Tangali and the pilot only gives out into a white expanse. There are no visible land or sky marks, so there is no way of telling if the photo was taken in flight, or if the two men posed for it while it was grounded. What about eyewitnesses? Wouldn't someone have noticed 150,000 leaflets containing an art manifesto being dropped from the sky? And if no one had, couldn't we assume that it didn't happen? The problem is that some people claimed they saw the drop. Others say they never did. And yet others say that he did distribute the leaflets, just not by plane, but by car. Whatever the case was, the mystery whether Tangeli ever moved through the air above Düsseldorf or whether he sat in a plane on an airstrip outside the city for a bit, goes to the heart of the message on his leaflets. In this regard, what actually happened is not as important as what is being made out of the possibility of it happening, as is so often the case in life. This is world of Sean Tangley. Sean Tangley. Jean Tingley. Jean Tingley. Jean So, what was on those leaflets? Everything is in motion. There is no standing still. Pretty basic, but so far so good. The text continues. Do not let yourselves be governed by outdated words for time. Do away with hours, minutes, seconds. Stop resisting change. Static in motion. This is where things get complicated, or at least paradoxical. What does it mean to be static in motion? If this sounds like a contradiction in terms, think about it. Aren't we all intimately familiar with this contradiction? We all know what it feels like to be in motion while standing still. It's the feeling you get when you cannot stop your thoughts from churning. Even though you know that obsessing over whatever you are thinking about will not move you forward what keeps you treading in place. That paradox we can all relate to. Tengeli asks us to imagine its opposite. Don't move while you're static, but be static in motion. Does that simply mean be in the moment? It's tempting to think that, since this is what he says next. for static happening in the now. Resist the fearful weakness to arrest movement, to petrify the moment. To kill what is alive. Let go of the desire to hold up values that always will collapse in the end. Be free and live. Stop painting time. Maybe this is what Tangley wants us to know. Life is always moving around us. It never comes to a halt. So it is up to us to be still in order to appreciate this constant movement. Mindfulness 101. With a little rewriting, you could imagine it as a motivational quote circulating on Instagram. You know the kind. Writing in a soft italicized serif font, either white or a shade of off-white against a bright pastel-colored background. But then Tangley goes on to say this. cathedrals and pyramids, which always will crumble at the touch of time. Like icing sugar, grown stale and brittle, will crumble to the touch of a child's hand. Hearing this, you might wonder, what Tangley felt that people had an unhealthy preoccupation with holding on to the moment in their 1950s How could that be? We're talking about a time before color photography had become a part of everyday life and the only other medium rivaling today's obsession with recording life was the diary. But that's exactly why Tangali sounds so solemn in his manifesto. To him, arresting the moment had existential consequences. It meant to allow yourself to be overwhelmed by the urge to think about the moment as part of a larger history. The story you are telling yourself about yourself again and again and again. It's like zoning out at a concert of a band you love during one of your less favorite songs. To think about how you will tell your friends about how fantastically transcendent the performance of your favorite tunes really was. This might sound harmless, something to be chalked up to distraction. Only for Tangley, it wasn't. Stop building cathedrals and pyramids, which always will crumble at the touch of time like icing sugar grown stale and brittle, will crumble to the touch of a child's hand. It's a strange image. Why pyramids and cathedrals? Because of their symbolic value, perhaps. But more importantly, because of how they exist in time. But they last. They outlive the time of their creation. And the stories of their makers at one point begins to withdraw into the background. What remains is something else entirely. It is not the story of a moment. For a time but the complete opposite it is the story of immutability to put it differently cathedrals and pyramids are static without motion where you are left with Is an object that hasn't changed for hundreds if not thousands of years and will last for as long if not longer if it isn't destroyed by willful acts of man or what insurance companies call an act of god tangley was not in favor of such constancy He cherished change. And this might be the reason he didn't make sculptures in the conventional sense of the word, but mechanical ones that moved and made sounds. And what is most important, machines that eventually broke because the different parts were wearing each other down with each movement. In Tangley's world, nothing was meant to last. Everything was meant to be unfinished and unfinishing. A gateway to infinity, as he once put it. might be misleading what do you think of when you hear it one of those white statues from European antiquity or the middle ages like the Venus of Milo or Michelangelo's David or something more modern like Rodin's Thinker forever cast into pensiveness in dark bronze? Or do you think of something more ancient, like the army of Terracotta soldiers of the Chinese emperor, Qin Shi Huang? Or the bust of Nefertiti, the Egyptian queen? Or maybe something more contemporary and public, like Anish Kapoor's Cloud Gate, or Richard Serra's Tilted Ark? They all are sculptures, albeit made from different materials, stone, metal, clay. Made in different times that held different expectations of what a sculpture was meant to be. Yet they have one thing in common. They are completely static. And in this regard, they differ from Tangerly's sculptures. His sculptures look like they were assembled out of parts found during a gainful foray into a junkyard. And often they were. They are made from iron bars, sheet metal, tins, timber, rubber tubing, plastic hoses, cloth, bones, wires, bells, bird feathers, instruments, tools, Wheels of all sizes, motors of all kinds, old electric household items, and lots of industrial strength tape. Most importantly, they move. And movement is never quiet. to walk into a tangly exhibition is to enter a world of noise. His sculptures rattle, thrum, clank, rustle, creak grind, shake, and swoosh, chime, blare, clunk, and groan, rumble, boom, thump, and clatter, thud, click, grind, and hum. They snap, crackle, and pop, and most importantly, they tick and talk because finally, no matter how many specific meanings you want to read into them. The one thing that remains is to tick-tock. Time is always in his mind. For him, nothing is purely static. Every second his machines run, they come closer to their own destruction. The motors The rubber ties and corks linking together the different pieces have been slowly abrading themselves ever since they were created. They are crumbling like icing sugar on a piece of cake forgotten at the back of the fridge. If it wasn't for the efforts of various restoration specialists, many of Tangali's sculptures would have become defunct by now. There is a bittersweetness to the fact that they haven't. As much as future generations have the right to enjoy his work, the question remains if to refuse to let these sculptures slowly destroy themselves is to go against the philosophy of static motion. It is to make pyramids and cathedrals out of things that are meant to be dreams and nightmares become true for a moment. But which then gradually fade into the background of consciousness. Because only then can we begin to think about destruction as something new. A something other than an ending. Throughout his career, Tangerly destroyed a great deal. Almost exactly one year after the alleged leaflet drop over Dusseldorf, Tangerly's machine sculpture, homage to New York, destroyed itself over the course of 20 minutes in front of a large audience, including an NBC film crew gathered in the sculpture garden of the MoMA. Over the next two years, he radicalized this approach to a self-destructive aesthetics in two works entitled Study for the End of the World I and II, which he destroyed with his fellow artist and wife, Niki de saint Phalle, in Copenhagen and Las Vegas respectively. While homage to New York dismantled itself rather slowly, these new works had more punch, or at least more dynamite. Works that go boom, Tangley called them. But it wasn't just that he cherished things that didn't stay the same. He also found inspiration in destruction. August 24th, 1986. Neyru, a small village in the French-speaking part of Switzerland. In the early morning, a crowd gathers outside of a barn, or rather, what is left of it? At 2 a.m., after hours of a raging storm, lightning struck. Tangeli would have heard the crash in his sleep. Maybe it even became part of his dream. As he dozed through the remaining hours of the night, in which the barn was burning to the ground, to the frantic bellowing of the cows trapped inside. At that time, Jean Tangely was plagued by nightmares he struggled to distinguish from reality. For months, he had been recovering from a complex heart surgery and was being plied with different drugs that kept him in a state of half-waking. Perpetually crepuscular. It's impossible to imagine what the scene would have looked like to him in this state. The surreal shapes of burned wood, molten metal from various farming machines that had been stored inside and the smell of charred flesh from the animal corpses. Whatever he saw, it didn't let him go. In spite of his bad health, soon he would return and begin salvaging parts of metal, wood, and bone, and begin the construction of a series of sculptures that would eventually become the piece called Mengele death bands. Mengele after the company who made popular farming equipment, pieces of which are the core of the exhibition, and not Mengele the Nazi doctor, though it should be noted that all these Mengele's are related to each other. These rusted and burnt sculptures reflect the ghostly world tangly inhabited at this time. Some of them crowned with animal heads taken from dead cows and one piece finished off with the skull of a hippopotamus. Lined up next to each other, they offer a glimpse into the fact that nothing ever stops that the world only exists at twilight, in a perpetual state of changing. The things that are destroyed are just not finished yet, and the only thing to be done is to continue, not worrying about when it might be done, to survive, to be static. In motion. To be static in motion. Don't be fooled. It's not some naff piece of New Age philosophy that aims to have you puzzled by the insight that change is the only thing that's constant. To be static in motion. It means that the only way in which anything acquires meaning is decomposition. And that decomposition is not the same as decline. It merely is change. It is to leave out an ending, to keep open the gateway to infinity, to remain unfinished in time, with time, and to keep making noise.